Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Jude. Jude, we're going to look at verses 17 through 23. Jude 17 through verse 23. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome all those who are joining us via our live stream this week. Each week, we have good number of folks who join us in that way. I also want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto, uh, the venue service right down the hall. Grateful for each and every one of you. I also want to let you know that we are in a season of a church in which we're uh, uh, taking deacon nominations. And so you can find information sheets about uh, deacon nominations at the Welcome Center. If you'll go there, there's a form. It will list out the qualifications according to Scripture on the role of a deacon. And we encourage you to take that list, read through that, and pray about men you see in the church who are leading out in terms of service. Those men who are leading out in terms of service. And then you can put their name on that, on that form as somebody that you're nominating, and there's a box right there next to the nomination forms. You put it right there in the box. We'll receive those. Um, but we need your help in that. The Lord is growing our congregation, and so we need, we have need of new deacons. Even at our, our Reach Church DeSoto campus, we need so, some new deacons. And so we pray that you'll join with us in praying that God will raise up those men uh, to serve his body and his church. Well, this morning, Jude, last of our glorious gospel series next week. Get ready. Uh, go over to 1 Samuel. Mark your page. Read ahead. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be there probably for a very long time, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I've been waiting for this for quite some time. And, but I wanted to do this one last one, the glorious gospel. I read this passage. It was kind of on the, it, it was in and out, in and out. And I thought, well, you got to do this. I, it was just too good. So uh, I just feel like it's very relevant, very practical. Jude, uh, we know he's a half-brother of Jesus, full brother of James. I uh, wish we had time to spend more on that, but uh, there's so much. You, you think of Jude having the privilege of growing up with Jesus, sharing a room with him. And uh, what's interesting is you see a lot of humility and modesty on the part of Jude, because even in the passage that we're going to look at this morning, he encourages them to remember uh, apostolic teaching. In other words, here is a man who had a really uh, in-depth knowledge of Jesus, and yet he understood that these men, these apostles, were, were ordained by God to record Holy Scripture for us, and Jude found comfort in submitting himself to apostolic teaching, and he encourages the church to do, to do the same. There's a lot of humility and modesty there on the part of Jude, an amazing, remarkable man. But he writes this letter probably... A bit reluctantly, he probably not one he wanted to write, but he writes because he knows there's false teaching out there. He knows there's false teachers who are infiltrating the church, and he knew the danger. It, Jude, along with all the apostles, understood something very, very clearly, that persecution never kills a church. Um, we're so afraid of persecution sometimes, but you, you find out, I was just rereading a book, if you ever get a chance to, called The Insanity of God. I was reading it for the second time, and it talks about the persecuted church. There's one thing that we see both in Acts and in the world. The greater the heat, the greater the expansion of God's kingdom. Persecution never kills the church. It grows the church. The, the apostles understood, Jude understand, persecution doesn't kill the church. They understood what kills the church is false teaching. You don't need to be afraid of persecution. What you really need to be afraid of is false teachers. 
So he writes to them to contend for the faith. And that's, in fact, that's what he says in verse 3. I'm writing you that you would contend earnestly for the faith. And he's speaking to, the, to all the church. And in, in some ways, I think he's calling them to be apologists. Um, apologetics in the church, sometimes we think of that as only reserved for the elite those students who have gone to seminary and have all the answers to all the scripture. But the fact of the matter is, I think we have a misunderstanding of what it means to be an apologist for God's word. In 1 Peter 3.15, all of us must be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us, which is Jesus Christ. We're all apologists. As believers in Jesus Christ, all of us are called to contend for the faith. And it doesn't mean that we have all the answers. But all of us are called to contend for the faith, not just contend. In verse four, Jude says, certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. He not only says contend, he says sometimes you gotta condemn them. And then the very next word is ungodly. Then he starts calling them names. <laughs> I think if Jude was preaching today, he'd have got an email the next Monday. You're being, now Jude, you gotta back off here. You're being a little unloving. And we really get this confused because so much today, we, we, we live in a world where we're so afraid of offending a person's feelings. Hurting a person's feelings. Listen, we don't wanna go around, we don't, we're not those people who just mean for the purpose of being mean. But listen, if we really love Jesus, sometimes the most unloving thing we can do is not tell a person the truth. Um, we define love based on our horizontal relationships. Um, and so the idea is I don't want to do anything that would hurt your feelings because you're the center of the universe. I got news for you this morning. We're not the center of the universe. God's the center of the universe. And God is love. And he's eternally loving. It's not like he created us because he needed somebody to love. That is false doctrine. God is eternally loving because he's eternally Trinitarian. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's been eternally loving. So love didn't just wasn't something created when he made us. God is love. And if we're gonna love him and love people, we gotta contend for the faith. But what does that mean? What does that look like? Because a lot of people out there are, um, they're good at sniffing out heresy. <laughs> they're good at sniffing out false teachers. But what should we do? We can identify it, but how do we respond? What is the right response? What does it look like for us to be apologists? What does it look like for us to be a people who contend for the faith. And so what, what Jude does here at the end of the letter is, the first part of the letter is primarily, here's what I'm writing, I want you to contend for the faith, then he condemns false teaching, spends the vast majority of the letter condemning false teaching. And then, um, and then the latter portion of this, he gets very practical. This is what it looks like for you. And this is how we respond to people who are being led astray by false teaching. So very practical, very relevant this morning. So before we go to God's word, let's pray. As we're going to God's word to pray this morning, I wanna give you an update. Many of you have asked me. Uh, I don't have all the details, but Pastor Steve did receive a heart uh, this weekend. He's a founding pastor of our church, Pastor Emeritus. Many of you know him. Many of you asked me. I want you to know, praise God, he received a new heart, heart transplant this week. And... Um, Long road ahead of him, pray for him. If you want updates, go to the Caring Bridge, look up Steve Dighton. His daughter-in-law, Marcy's doing a remarkable job keeping all of us updated, knowing how we can pray. Go there, but let's pray for our study of God's word, and we're gonna pray for him this morning. How about that? So let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word this morning. And Lord, as we do so, we're very grateful for Pastor Steve Dighton. We thank you for his faithfulness to you. And Lord, you've never let him down, and we're thankful this week you provided in a miraculous way. We pray for the family that is grieving and is giving this heart, and pray that you would comfort them. We rejoice in your provision, and we pray for length of days for Pastor Steve, and we pray for his family, that you would be with them, and pray that you would help him to heal, and pray especially for Mary, the entire family. May your hand of peace be on them, and your hand of favor continue to be upon them. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we ask you to speak to us. Help us to better understand what it means to contend for the faith. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What does it mean to contend for the faith? Look at verses 17 through 18. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. The first thing that we see here, if we're gonna contend for the faith, is we gotta remember the truth. Remember the word of God. Uh, Primarily saying to them, listen, don't be caught off guard when you hear false teaching because the, the apostles told you you would encounter false teaching. We gotta remember the truth because the truth reminds us that the apostles told us this would happen. Uh, it amazes me to see people say, well, I mean, can you believe this falsehood? Can you believe that what this man is preaching or what this man is teaching? I'm surprised by it. Listen, if you've been reading your New Testament, you should not be surprised. The New Testament told us it will arise. It's going to come. We studied a little while ago in 2 Timothy 4 when Paul warned Timothy there's going to come a day when people don't want to be challenged by means of the God's word. They're, they're just going to want their ears tickled. They don't want to change to fit God's word. They'll just change preachers. They'll find people who, account, will, who will preach in such a way to accommodate their sinful lifestyle. Uh, Paul warned the Ephesians elders in Acts chapter 20, after I leave, there's going to be wolves. They're going to come in. They're going to seek to lead you astray. 2 Peter 3, uh, Peter 4 warned them, saying there's going to be false teachers who are going to try to shake you from the truth of God's word. 1 John 4 tells us to test the spirits because there's many false prophets who have gone out into the world. We could list scripture after scripture after scripture. Scripture warns us this is going to happen. So remember the truth because the truth reminds us that this was going to happen But just as importantly, when Jude tells us to remember the truth, remember apostolic teaching, he's not just telling us that we shouldn't be surprised, but he's giving us the primary means by which we contend for the faith. The number one way in which we contend for the faith is that we abide in the truth of God's word. Listen to me. For the believer in Jesus Christ, abiding in the truth of God's word, knowing the truth of God's word can never be understated. I mean, you cannot grow apart from the Word of God. You cannot have the Lord's guidance in your life apart from the Word of God. You cannot be guarded in your life. You can't know the will of God apart from the Word of God. You can't know God apart from the Word of God. As Deuteronomy says, this book is no idle word for you. It is your very life. If we're going to contend for the faith, we must be a people who know the Word of God. It can't be that we sit here and say, well, the preacher's going to... Bring it next Sunday, and I'll leave that for the professionals. I'll pick up my Bible on Sunday. No. If we're going to contend for the faith, we must all be serious, disciplined students of the Word of God. Meaning we immerse ourselves in the Word. We memorize the Word. We meditate on the Word. It's our very life. 
Listen, one day you're going to get to heaven. You just might bump into a man named Habakkuk. And he's going to ask you, how'd you like my book? (laughs) And some of you, it's going to be an awkward situation. (laughs) You need to know the Bible. You've heard me say this over and over and over and over again. And I will continue to say it until I die. And then after I die, I'm going to be cremated and put. And there's going to be a tombstone. I'm just going to say, read your Bible. Because even after I'm dead, I'm going to keep telling you, read your Bible. Listen, if we don't know the truth, we can't defend the truth. And if we don't defend the truth, then the gospel will be perverted and there'll be no gospel to preach in future generations. We must know the truth of God's word. You know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and to another they will not listen. Um, You know, you spend, when you spend time in God's word, You spend time in God's word, you get to a place where you know the Lord's voice, don't you? I tell you, this is one of the sweetest things about knowing Jesus and having his word is that you get to hear him speak to you. His voice and his word, you get to hear him. And the more you know his voice, the more you're able to know the voices that are not God. And you've heard me say this, if there comes a day where you hear any other voice than the voice of God proclaimed through the truth of God's word, find yourself another church. And I'll also say right here at this point, be wary of the people who are always saying, God spoke to me and told me. Now, if the, if the very next thing is not a verse of scripture, don't listen to them. There's a lot of people out there that are just We're turning into mystics is what is happening. God spoke to me and told me that God spoke to me and told me this. Listen, God has spoken by means of his word. You want to hear his voice, you go to his word. And so we've got to know the voice of God. We've got to know the truth. Then we also see not only as we we evaluate false teaching and contend for the faith, we've not only got to be careful about what we listen to. we got to evaluate everything we hear on the basis of the truth of God's word. Everything. Everything you hear, base it, address it, evaluate on the basis of God's word. But not only do we listen to what people say and their words to see if they're according to God's scripture, but we also got to look at their lives. So not just listening to their words, but observing their life and their character, because that's what Jude says here. He says, in the last time... They'll be mockers, following after their own godly lust. These are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. See, you just can't look to their, listen to their words. you got to watch their lives. To me, this is one of the dangers of celebrity preachers. We glamorize these men in the pulpit that we've never met. We don't even know them. No, we got to be careful. Because what we long for is teachers who don't just proclaim the Word of God, but they live the Word of God. He says they're going to be mockers. Mockers are... If you're going to mock someone or something, you've got to think of yourself as better than them. I think what he's saying here, that these false teachers oftentimes are marked by pride and arrogance. And sometimes pride and arrogance, it's hard to put your finger on, but I believe if we have any real sensitivity to the Spirit, we can see it. We can hear it. You've got to be taught to listen for it. Not only will there be mockers, but they'll follow after their own ungodly passions. You know, uh, oftentimes when you see false teachers, not only do you find that they're, 
they're diverting from biblical truth, but they're also diverting from biblical morality. That if you dig deep enough into their lives, you'll find immorality. You'll find things hidden, following after their own ungodly lust. Then you'll see, say, worldly-minded. Or back up, created division. They're divisive. I believe he's, when we talk about division, he's talking about what Paul experienced in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 4, when he says, some are saying, I'm of Apollos and I, I'm of Paul. There's, there's creating these camps of people. Be wary of teachers who are marked more by division than unity. Now, let me be careful because the word of God will divide. The truth of God's word will divide. But I think what we're talking about here is within the body of Christ, we're careful about men who seem to be directing your attention more to them than to the truth of God's word. Be careful about somebody who's more worried about their brand and growing their own kingdom than growing God's kingdom. So men, false teachers, they're marked by pride, division, worldly-minded, as opposed to heavenly-minded. They're more driven by the things of the earth than the things of heaven. More interested in the stuff of this world than the souls of men and women. And then devoid of the spirit. Basically, they're phonies. They're frauds. Um, they, they give lip service to God. Their faith is nullified by their life. Uh, listen, we had somebody who was joining the church not long ago, and she made an appointment to meet with me. She said, listen, uh, if I'm going to join the church, I want to know my pastor. I don't know anything wrong with that. Um, know and listen to what they say, but also watch their lives. But when you get down to the, just what the, the basics of what he's saying here is that the word of God becomes the lens through which we view all teachers. If we're gonna contend for the faith, we evaluate everything through the lens of God's word, not just what they say, but the life they live. Then the second thing, if we're gonna contend for the faith, is we gotta build up our faith. It only makes sense if we're gonna Contend for the faith, we gotta build our faith. Look at verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Um, if you wanna contend for the faith, you gotta build your faith. And so he says, build up your faith. It's strong language, it's an imperative. Meaning that building up your faith as a Christian is not optional, it's a command to grow. You've heard me say this before, you don't, you don't float into a firm faith. If you know people who are strong in their faith, I can guarantee you they didn't glide into it. They disciplined themselves, pursued God in his word and in, in prayer, built up their faith. Now, I wanna be careful here because when it comes to salvation, we know that salvation is all a work of God from beginning to end. Salvation is all God's work. I tell people all the time, if salvation at any point in time is dependent upon me, not only, will, not only can I lose my salvation, I will lose my salvation. But praise God, my salvation is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon a perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, who did all the work for me. I'm trusted in him, and he has saved me, he is saving me, and he will save me. That's the sovereignty of God in salvation. But the sovereignty of God, listen, it doesn't cancel out our work. The sovereignty of God does not make us lazy. 
It doesn't cancel out our work. The sovereignty of God becomes the motivation of our work. What did Paul say to Philippians? As you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works within you. He says, you know God's at work in you, and for that reason, work it out. And so how do we do that? How do we work with God? How do we build up our faith? He tells us three things. Number one, praying in the Spirit. One of the defining marks of a person who's building up their faith will be that they are constantly pursuing the presence of God in prayer. But he says here, praying in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, first of all, pray in the Spirit. The beauty of this is pray in the Spirit means that you don't have to be in a certain location. You don't have to be in a certain place. You don't have to face a certain direction. You don't have to be in a certain position. You can cry out to God on the basis of your faith through Jesus Christ. You can cry out to God at any moment and say, Abba, Father, and he hears your prayers. Isn't that good news today? That's called praying the Spirit. But I think there's more to this. The, the more I've studied this, the more I believe that there's more here. And I want to be careful. I pray so hard, Lord, don't let me say anything. As so I even say it to now, Lord, if there's any of the part of this is Chad's words, not your words, let it fall by the way. But, but I think we'd all say today there's a difference between praying and praying. There's a difference between praying and praying in the Spirit. When we go before God and we're earnest in our pursuit of him, we're desperate in our pursuit of him, and he begins to stir up our affections. He begins to stir up our desires. I, I tell you, I don't, I'm not sure I ever really understood this kind of praying until I was at my first church in Valley, Alabama. And I went to serve there. They called me to be their senior pastor, and I looked at the weekly calendar and on Tuesday mornings, I saw on the calendar, I was talking to Faith, they had something called Sweet Hour of Prayer at 6 a.m. Nothing sounded sweet at 6 a.m. <laughs> sweet Hour of Prayer, what are you talking about? But you know, I'm the pastor, and it's not going to look good if I don't come to the prayer meeting. So I decided I would go. We met at a woman named Faye Henderson's house. There were two other people there, J.D. and Janelle Stodgill. And I'm telling you, that first Tuesday morning, I had to drag myself down to Faye's house, little Mill Village house. But I'm telling you, I don't know that I really knew prayer. They would take the word of God, and they'd start in Psalms, whatever day of the week it was. So today's August 14th. If it was August the 14th, we'd start on Psalm 14. And Faye Henderson would read Psalm 14, and then we'd all go around and we'd pray. And listen, we weren't praying about everybody's knees and ankles and headaches. Not that you can't pray for those things. Man, they were praying for the souls of men and women. They were praying that God would move in our church. And then we add 30 to 14. You go to Psalm 44. And then J.D. would read Psalm 44, and we'd all go around and pray. And we'd, we'd, we wouldn't stop. We, we, most time we wouldn't, we'd go an hour and 10 minutes. I'm telling you, we saw God do some amazing things in our church, and I could have traced every one of those things back to a prayer. A group of men and women who were just passionately in pursuit of God, praying the Spirit. They would pray the Word of God. I love this. Praying in the Spirit means you pray the Word of God back to God. Praying the Spirit, the Spirit that inspired the Word, we pray the Word back to God. We're like little kids, we're like little children. You ever have a kid who says, Dad, you promised? I got a son who'll do that all the time. You promised. Do you know that's what we should do in prayer? 
we take the promises of God from the word of God and we put them back in the face of the Father and we say, Dad, you promised. You promised me. And I'm just going to keep clinging to you. You know, one of the things I've learned about Christians, you won't really know that prayer until you become desperate for God. God help us if we've never been a place of that kind of desperation where we knew that God was our only hope. And we said with the heart of a Jacob, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. That's the mark of a person who's growing, building up their faith. They're pursuing the presence of God. When was the last time you prayed like that for anything? When was the last time you got together with a group of people for the sole purpose of just praying? Just praying. Using the word of God as a basis of your prayer time. Praying in the spirit. The second thing, abiding Abiding in the love of God. Now, whose love is he talking about? The love of God. Is it, is it our love towards God? Is it God's love towards us? I think it's the latter. It could be both. Abiding, I think what he's saying here is abide in the love that God has for you. Far too many Christians today need to be reminded of this, that God loves you. I can't tell you how many men I meet with that you look them in the eyes and they're ridden with guilt and they're ridden with regret and to be able to look them in the eye and say, God loves you and to see a man melt under the weight of God's love for him. We'll talk about it more when we take communion a little later. But listen to me this morning. Until you understand how much God loves you, you'll never build up your faith. And far too many people, they fade into some kind of performance-based relationship with God. Can I tell you today, there's nothing you can walk out those doors and do today that would make God love you more than he does right now. And there's nothing you could do, walk out those doors and do today that would make God love you any less than he does right now. And some people say, well, pastor, be careful there. You start telling people God loves them no matter what, they'll live like hell. No telling what they'll do. Listen to me. You understand how much God loves you and what he did for you? What did Paul say in Romans? Does this mean we keep on sinning? God forbid it. You understand what God does for you. You understand how much he loves you. You'll be motivated to live for him and to turn away from sin. You'll never build up your faith until you're grounded and abiding in how much God loves you. And then finally, what does he say? Waiting anxiously for the mercy of God to eternal life. Waiting on the mercy of God to eternal life. I would have said it this way. I would have said waiting on the return of Christ. But in the industry, he said, waiting on the mercy of God. Why did he say it that way? I'm not exactly sure, but this is my thought. I think Jude understood when Christ returns, what is the one thing we need the most? The mercy of God. God is holy and righteous God. He hates sin. And just as we needed the mercy of Christ and the mercy of God demonstrated on the cross of Christ when he died for our sins, listen to me, when Christ returns, we need the mercy of God. We're a people who are constantly waiting, 
and waiting on his return and waiting on the mercy that will be demonstrated to us at that time. What a powerful picture here. If you're going to build up your faith, listen, you've got to be a people who pursue God in prayer. You've got to be a people who abide in his love. You've got to be a people who are waiting anxiously for his mercy. And then a final thing that we see here in verses 22 and 23. What do we do with those people who are being led astray? So if we're contending, we're out there contending for the faith. We're defending the faith. We're we're ready to give a defense for the hope that's in us. Man, we're reading God's word and we're hearing God's voice and we know the voice of those who are not the truth and we're, we're building up our faith. But what do we do with people that we encounter I bet we could all say today, I bet every one of us in this room today could, could talk about somebody who's being led astray by false teaching. What do we do with those people? And Paul gives us three reactions, three responses. No cookie, cookie cutter response here. No one size fits all. Um, but he's gonna give you three types of responses. Listen to what he says in verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Doubting means double-minded. Have uh, those who are doubting, they're double-minded, meaning they kind of got one. And, and listen, when I talk about these things, I'm not sure if these people uh, claim Christ, they know Christ, and they're fading, or they never knew Christ to begin with. But he says there's some people out there that are kind of on the fence, spiritually speaking. They've kind of got one foot with Christ and one foot with the world. What do you do with those people? And you've probably seen some people like that in your life. You, maybe you knew that they made a profession of faith, but now they just seem to be sitting on the fence all the time. And I don't know, if you're like me, one of the things that you would just really desire to do is shake them and maybe whop them upside the head and yell at them. Isn't that our natural? Bill's amen in. That's, he's, he's been there. But what, what's the biblical response? Well, Jude tells us, have mercy. Be merciful. You know why we're merciful? Because God was merciful with us, amen? Then he gives us a second reaction. He says, save others. Verse 23, snatching them out of the fire. I think the picture here is they're engulfed by the judgment of sin. In other words, they're teetering on the brink of hell. These are people we see, again, we don't know if they never knew Christ, they're claiming Christ, maybe they never knew Christ, maybe they know Christ, and they're walking away and they're just engulfed by sin. And he uses a stronger language here. He says, you snatch them. You save them. I, I think he's talking about some form of spiritual intervention that if you got to, and I think Matthew 18 gives us some picture of, of, of church discipline And the goal of church discipline, people think, well, church discipline, you try to kick people out. Well, it may end in that. But the goal of it is what? To save them. That you see a brother and sister teetering on the brink of hell, following a path of destruction, and you do everything you can to snatch them, save them. And I think it's important for us to hear this because I believe today sometimes we see a person who starts to fade and just fall away into the world, and we just abandon them. And what Jude says here is go snatch them. Do what he got to do. Save them. Go after them. Don't give up on them. We ought to be a church full of firefighters who aren't afraid to wade into the fire of sin sometimes and try to snatch a brother or sister out of that situation and bring them back to faithfulness to Christ. 
And then there's a final group. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And on some have mercy with fear, have, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Uh, my New American Standard Version, a lot like most English versions, English translations, uh, tries to soften this a little bit. But the word for garment here is you, that day you had an outer garment, your tunic, but you, then you had an undergarment. That's the garment it's referring to here. So we're talking about underwear, all right? Let's just throw it out there. You can laugh, it's okay. And then he says, polluted by the flesh. Literally, it's talking about polluted by bodily function. That's my, you're getting ready to eat lunch. I'm trying to be careful. I don't think I have to go any further for you to get the picture of what he's talking about here. There are some folks that on their outer garments, they look real nice. But spiritually speaking, they stink with sin. Their lives are disgusting. Um, I don't want to get specific here, but we got in the church. I mean, listen, you need to know today a real issue is pornography. Men who look really good on the outside dress up for church. But inwardly, they're stinking. All kinds of other issues. And the picture here is have mercy on them. You've got you to rub shoulders with these people. But do so with fear, right? Why? Because you might get sucked in too. You've got to be careful. But we don't leave those people behind. That we aren't afraid to get around people. See, I think the great fear for us as Christians is that we get so far removed from the point of salvation that we forget that our undergarments stunk too. And aren't you grateful, some of you are very grateful today that somebody, when you were in you, the filthiness of your stinking sin, you're grateful somebody loved you enough to show you mercy and to put an arm around you and tell you the truth of the gospel. That is to be our heart towards those who are being led away by false teaching, whether in the church or outside the church in the world, that we love them and we seek to be firefighters who go into the fire and snatch them out and show mercy. Isn't this a picture of what Jesus did? Did Jesus respond to every sinner in the same way? Sometimes he was very kind and merciful. Sometimes he called them whitewashed tombs and got in their face this is where you and I have to be Holy Spirit inspired on the basis of God's word to know how to respond in whatever situation, but our heart is to draw all men and women to Christ. A powerful picture here. I don't know, I've just been praying this week and I just want to do something as we close here. I... Uh, you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you this morning are burdened, deeply burdened by a son, a daughter, maybe a brother or a sister who's being led away by the false teachings of this world? In fact, if you were gut level honest with all of us, it's pretty much consuming your life. 
How many of you have grandchildren that they're not the children you raised? You don't know what to do with them. I just want to do something this morning to pray for them. We live in a world full of false teaching. Men and women are being led astray. We got to contend for the faith. This is serious business, folks. We got to take a stand for the truth. Some people say, boy, you're getting into air. They're secondary. No, these are primary issues. We got to take a stand on the word. We got to grow in our faith. And we have to have a compassionate, mission-minded attitude towards those who are being led astray. And we need to seek the face of God that he'll move because the only person who can change somebody is Jesus Christ. I just want to lead us to pray for a moment. Right where you're at, I know some of you, your hearts are deeply burdened right now. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Pastor Bill's gonna come play in the background. Would you just pray for, I don't, I don't know who it might be. Right now, you got somebody in your life, it could be a son or a daughter, and your heart is grieved. They're being totally, some of them, they're, they're, it, they're just engulfed with the, the judgment and the fire of God's sin, and you're so concerned on them. They're, they're teetering on the brink of hell. Number one, would you just pray right now that God would continue to break your heart for them? Right now, would you commit yourself to saying to the Lord, you'll never give up on them? Right now, would you plead with God to do it, whatever it takes? It's a dangerous prayer especially when we're talking about people we deeply love. But would you be willing that, to do that today? No matter what physical situation they have to go through. Because you know what matters most is their spiritual condition. Would you be willing to pray that right now? Whatever you gotta do, Lord. Would you intervene as only you can? Lord, we come before you today with hearts that are overwhelmed by your grace and your love that you've demonstrated towards us. We remember the words of that old hymn, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. We were teetering on the brink of hell, but the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I, love lifted me. God, those sons and daughters, those grandchildren, those brothers and those sisters who, are, who have wandered, God, I pray that you would reach down in your mercy and your grace. Would you lift them? Would you save them, divinely intervene to draw them back to yourself? And God, if there's anybody here right here in this morning right now that doesn't know you, they're sinking in sin. I pray that they would run to you and know your salvation and your peace today. Pray all this in Christ's name.